You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. I fell in love with radio at eight years old. I was sitting on my front lawn on Halloween listening to War of the Worlds by Orson Welles. Have any of you heard that? Yes. Okay. It was about 70 years after the fact, and I was terrified. <laughs> and if you don't know what it is, it's this H.G. Uh, Wells story where aliens invade. And Orson Welles put a different spin on it, where he was a news reporter as the aliens were invading. And I didn't think of it in the complex way that I can say this now, but I just remember thinking, if a medium has the ability to make me feel these emotions 70 years after the fact, that's a pretty powerful medium, and I want to be involved in that. And I grew up with a Republican family listening to talk radio, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, really grew up loving talk radio and Bob and Tom. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Bob and Tom show? Have you heard the Bob and Tom show? Okay, so you're familiar with it. Grew up loving comedy as a result. It was really a great experience. Uh, made me the twisted person that I am now. <laughs> I always joke that I'm glad that uh, I started listening at the Bob and Tom show when I was four years old. Now they can pay for my therapy as a result. Um, so I, I knew that I wanted to be in broadcasting or journalism or radio, but very much like you guys, I had that as a vague dream. I wanted to do it, but that was something that other people get to do, not necessarily people like me. And what I want to impress on you today is that you, can, you have the ability to get into it if you follow a certain, do some certain things. So uh, I, I went to high school, I was in my high school journalism class. Uh, I was on the high school newspaper, the most important class I took in all of my education. Uh, learning to write in journalism in high school was the most important skill that I had. When I got an internship later, writing commercials, now writing the copy that goes around social media posts, all of that stems from my high school education, my journalism class. So if you have the ability to take a journalism class, I think it will, now we're in college because it will really, really help you a lot. So because I, did, I wanted to get into broadcasting, but I didn't really know if I could or how, I went to college without really a plan. And I went to IUPUI, became a history major. And I took a bunch of different classes. The first couple years, you just kind of take classes, right? You, you take the required classes, like the intro to college, writing classes, things, things that are important but not necessarily narrowed down to what you're supposed to take. Now, during that period, I delivered pizzas for Donato's, which is a great job. I highly re recommend it. Like, you get to drive around, listen to your favorite audiobooks and radio shows and comedy. I, I just loved, I loved delivering pizzas. And so I would always listen to this local talk station, 1430 AM WXNT. But they aired Indians games. 
And I wanted to listen to Michael Savage. I didn't want to listen to the, uh, the, to the Indians. If you know Michael Savage, please don't hold it against me that I listen to Michael Savage. Uh, and so I wrote a strongly worded email to the local radio station. And I said, this is unacceptable. How dare you make money off of broadcasting Indians games because it inconveniences me. And the program director, Andrew Lee, wrote back and said, sorry, this is how we make revenue. Because if you don't know, broadcasting games, the Indians pay to broadcast their games, right? And uh, so we just started talking back and forth. And he said, I used to deliver pizzas. What do you do? And I said, I go to college. He's like, have you ever thought about an internship? I was like, I don't know what that is. And uh, so we started talking uh, about the process to become an intern. And you will have this because of your youth. And you, you don't really, uh, a lot of things will happen to you for the first time. So you think they're a big deal. Like, this was a big deal to me. But to him, he's like, yes, I got free labor for the semester. You know, like, I thought, who could possibly get an internship at a radio station? Like, how is this even possible? This is great. Uh, and to him, it was just, it was, it, people in broadcast are always looking for interns. Because, A, it's an industry that loves to invest in the future, that loves to uh, help build their farm team. So when you're in college, one of the most important things you can do is get an internship at a broadcasting outlet. Media, TV, if you're interested in digital or marketing, getting an, an internship at a marketing agency. Because they're very eager to have you intern. And you may not think it's possible. We, The Bob and Tom Show will occasionally have interns. And people think, man, the line to be an intern at Bob and Tom must be so big. We barely ever get applications. And it's because people think, in your seats, so many people must apply. So the barrier to an internship, a lot of times, is very low. And the chances of you getting a job after your internship in the industry are very high. So it's very important that you get an internship. Uh, so I started there in 2004. And I learned to run the board. I learned to produce commercials. I learned to do a lot of different things at the radio station. And, the benefit of starting at a small AM station, it was the lowest rated AM station in town. Uh, and how many of you have ever listened to AM radio? <laughs> All right, so a quarter of you. It wasn't much better back in 2004, <laughs> but I was in heaven. I thought it was just the greatest opportunity ever, and it was. I mean, I would load in the ad council PSAs, which was to them a nightmare, but to me, I really enjoyed it. And I heard these commercials, I was like, I did that. So I'm, I'm working as an intern, and someone walks up to one of the other program directors says, hey, ha, I have an opportunity for you. Would you like to go out and work at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Well, that's another dream come true, because that's another place I have always wanted to work, but I never thought that that was possible. And it was, uh, it, I ended up talking to this guy named Jan Schaefer, who actually just passed away. And Jan was this, he was just this curmudgeonly uh, guy who had been involved. He was the head of PR for the CART and IndyCar series, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He knew more about racing than any of us combined will ever be able to learn. Uh, and he was a professional swearer. Like, if you could get into the business of cursing, Jan Schaefer would be the Michael Phelps. Uh, and so I met this guy, and he was just... Uh, 
I really was amazed by him because he would walk around the IndyCar garage and everybody knew Jan. And I was there for, four, for five years working at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, interviewing drivers, collecting audio and writing up little stories that we would send to drivers' hometown to promote the Indianapolis 500. And Jan taught me so much about journalism, public relations, uh, how to, even little things like transcribing quotes and using those quotes ethically. And it was great on-the-job training. And there's going to be a lot of people through the course of your career, regardless of your field, that are going to stand out when you look back 15 years later and go, wow, this person really helped me a lot by teaching me, and I didn't even realize I was being taught. I didn't realize I was being mentored too. And you know, Andrew Lee, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, who I produced the radio show with, um, Jan Schaefer, these are people that I look back and I go, had it not been for them, had I not been present in the moment and willing to learn from people, I wouldn't have the career that I have now. And what you'll find over the course of your career, again, regardless of any field, is there's all these different little stepping stones. It's, it's like building a wall uh, in, in a garden. And you have just these little bricks. And each one of these little bricks eventually just stack up to a wall. And you go, how'd this wall get here? <laughs> Uh, and so I kind of wake up every day going, how did I get here? Uh, and and uh, it is very fun what I get to do as a result. So be present and be um, mindful to listen to anybody who is hiring you and giving you a paycheck because those people turn out to be your best mentors. And sometimes we think of work and jobs as... Uh, this is a job, but you're really learning from the people that you work for uh, because of their experience. So I was able to work at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and then I uh, started, I got a part-time job. So a lot of times you get a, an internship, and then they hire you part-time to work at a radio station, a TV station, or uh, really any internship. You, you can usually get a job or parlay that into a job. It's a great resume builder. So I started producing the Saturday shows. So on local radio shows, they make money by selling out hours of the weekend show. So you give me $500, I give you an hour of my radio, my radio station on Saturdays. Well, you need somebody to run the board, produce that show. And I was the person that did that for four years. And it was a great way to, I was hired to run the board. I took the initiative to help produce their shows. And I was being asked questions by these hosts. I'll use the term host loosely, like, because a lot of times it's like, oh, welcome to this week in hardware store stuff. I mean, really like low level talent, like, not low level talent, um, how do I put it? Uh, novices at trying to do radio, but they want to do it, they're paying to do it, and so they have questions. So they'd ask me how to do radio, and I'm like, I better come up with something so I don't look like a phony, even though I kind of was. And so I started over the, over the course of time, like recognizing patterns in this, uh, in this training that I'm giving to these hosts. Well, do this, do this, do this. And I was taking what I was learning from Abdul and Andrew and Jan and applying it to these Saturday shows and helping teach other people how to do it. 
And there will be opportunities where you will be early in your career where you will be able to teach other people how to do something and take advantage of that, even though you feel like a complete imposter, uh, which is very common in broadcasting. It's something called the imposter syndrome. I wake up every day going, today is the day people are going to figure out that I don't know much about what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is one of those uh, examples. But you really do know what you're talking about. You just are in your own head sometimes too much. And so uh, I took the opportunity. If I, they asked me a question I didn't know, I would ask Andrew, and then I'd translate that to the hosts. And it was a great training for me to teach people how to market their product via a radio show. And that's something that I'm still uh, able to do. And so I did that long enough. I kept my foot in the door uh, long enough to get a full-time job at the radio station in 2007, making $17,000 a year, <laughs> which I know, oh, well, there's inflation. No, it's $17,000 a year in this money, too. I mean, it's like $18,000 in modern money. It was, it was a very small salary. And one of, the, one of the ways that the broadcast industry kind of weeds people out is it underpays them. You, you do what you love for free for a period of time, and then you get a very small salary, and then eventually you get paid more as you, as you gain more experience. But in the initial phases, you're going to think your salary is very unfair. Stick it out. Because the people that stick it out and don't get all bent out of shape about that and just Keep their, you know, keep their head down, go get a second job like I did. I worked three jobs through my 20s until I got the Bob and Tom job. And I did that because I loved broadcasting. I loved the things that I get to do as for a living now and uh, at a level that I get to come speak to you guys because I just didn't get, uh, I just didn't rage quit, <laughs> which is, uh, you probably don't know what I'm talking about now, but you're at one point going to go, Oh, that guy that I heard in high school was right. I want to, uh, so I want to rage quit. Um, so I just worked my butt off. Um, I had one of the lonelier times of your life is right after college because all your friends are kind of scattered. You're starting your career. You're not making a ton of money. Uh, I had, uh, I was finished with school. I was working part-time as a janitor for my dad. I was living in my mom's basement. I'm 25. Uh, I'm, by all accounts, a complete loser. <laughs> and uh, I got that full-time job at WXNT, and it paid nothing, and they uh, gave me a key. So I was there all the time, and I worked my butt off, and I learned how to do everything at that radio station. I was hired to produce the morning show but, which means I was hired to run the controls, to push buttons, but I showed up to be a reporter, to do news updates, to do traffic and weather. I cleaned the studio. I learned engineering. I learned sales. I learned promotions. I did pr promotions assisting. I found needs that were uh, open in that small organization and filled them. And becoming indispensable like that is incredibly important. You want to become indispensable to your employer, so it's harder to get rid of you. <laughs> because the reality of broadcasting is that there's 100 people out the door ready to take your position. Now, there's a lot of people who want to do broadcasting, but it's much harder than it looks. Like sitting there talking for four hours, prepping for a show, trying to come up with a topic that's engaging to an audience that's a broad audience is really difficult. 
and you feel like you've been hit in the head with a hammer after hosting a radio show for three hours, uh, as we were talking about earlier. So uh, by that time, I had developed the goal of becoming a talk radio show host. And it was very glaring in my commentary that I needed political experience. I, I wasn't going to be a good talk show host without having some on-the-ground experience. And uh, an opportunity came up to work for the Libertarian Party of Indiana as their executive director full-time. So I took that, and I was there for four years. And I helped develop hundreds of candidate and county party organizations, learning how to market an, an idea and candidates and organizations with zero dollars. And the way that we did that was in social. Social media really was starting to take off between 2008 and 2012 as a marketing platform. And I never said I'm going to be a social media marketer. I never said I'm going to be a social media expert. It just was a tool that was at my disposal that I could use to achieve my goals. And web production, audio production, podcasting, video uh, editing, there wasn't much video in 2008 to, to 2012, uh, and social were really tools that I used to promote the libertarian ideology and the libertarian party. And I eventually burnt out on that after four years and went to work for an ad agency. And I was able to get the job at the ad agency because I had credible marketing experience with the Libertarian Party. I was able to say and identify, I did these things that are relevant to your business, and so therefore you should hire me. And they said, okay. And I went on to uh, become a marketing manager for a brand that was operated through the, the ad agency I worked for. And um, that was... A long, strange year. <laughs> so ad, advertising was not for me. And there are going to be points in your career where you just go, I'm going to do this because I need the money, but it's not necessarily what I like to do. I just, I liked working with small businesses, but in ad, advertising, it's, um, you have to be, I'm not a good liar. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so to, to be, a, I'm not a good salesman at all. Um, I had also worked in 2005, one of those part-time jobs, it was a full-time job when I worked at the radio station, was a CD-DVD duplication plant. Uh, so I actually got to work in the physical production of media, and I was a customer service rep. And that was relevant experience to the Bob and Tom job, but all, I, just, I was not meant for a nine-to-five job. I just wasn't. I, I had known that since I was a kid. Uh, and so a lot of my career path has been don't work at an ad agency or <laughs> don't work at a nine-to-five job where you're chained to a desk. And, you know, I've been able to do that. That was like the one career goal I had. So for one of these clients, we need a logo. And I was looking for graphic designers, and Blair had worked with the radio station that I, I'm connected to now. and said, what about that guy that did the Bob and Tom logos? So I went and met P.J. Yinger, who does all the art. He's the art director for the Bob and Tom Show. Now, P.J. is a character and has done all the art for 30 years for the Bob and Tom Show. And uh, if you don't know, there is the, there's the studios where the Bob and Tom Show is produced, and then there's another recording studio, art studio, video studio connected that Tom owns called the Static Shack. 
So I went over there and I got to see where all the Bob and Tom bits and songs and art was produced by the show and I was in awe because like, I never thought I could, get, I could meet anybody from the Bob and Tom show. I remember in 2005, uh, after Carb Day, they would always have a concert downtown and like standing behind the stage and the fence, like just trying to get a glimpse of anybody connected to the show. Maybe I could see Tom or Chick. Uh, so it was very surreal to like get to walk into a place where so much of the show's history was produced. And I just started talking to PJ and he's very engaging and was asking me a lot about myself and uh, asked me what I thought of the Bob and Tom digital platforms. And um, so help me God, I can't be anything but honest. And I said, they're terrible. And here's why, and here's what I would do differently. I was just spouting off. I was just saying what I thought. What I didn't know is that they had been looking for somebody to revamp their digital for the past three years. They just didn't know who it was. And so when I talked to PJ, who is Tom's best friend, he called Tom and said, there's a kid who worked in radio, who's worked in marketing, worked for an ad agency, who's worked around famous people at the Speedway. He understands every aspect of our business, and he knows how to fix what you need fixed. Uh, so PJ says, you should meet Tom. And I said, I should not meet Tom. Uh, I'm not going to meet my childhood hero and tell him how everything that he does sucks. Uh, <laughs> and he said, no, you need to meet Tom. I said, okay. So he calls me frantically one day and he says, you gotta come down and meet Tom. He's here and he wants to meet you. It's about a week later. This is tw tw 2013, middle of the year. And so I have to figure out how to get out of work because I'd already been to lunch and it's like two, three in the afternoon. So I was just like, I'm just gonna be honest. Uh, hey boss, Tom Griswold wants to meet me and I'm gonna go talk to him. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to get some consulting business, but I'm, I'm gonna take off and take a personal day. And they said, okay. Most places probably, I mean, in hindsight, they probably shouldn't have done that because I got hired away six months later, but um, they were nice enough to let me go. Now, here's the thing about Tom. Tom is, uh, is a genius. Like Tom is a genuine genius at his craft. He is, a, he is the person, there, there has been a core group of people that instrumentally uh, built the show into what it is, and Tom is central to that. Uh, and he, he, but he's very ADD, and so you get 90 seconds with Tom, maybe two minutes if you're lucky. Tom sat down for two hours with me with a clipboard and took notes on everything that I, I outlined. And like Tom is the first person to say, there are a lot of things I don't know about. And I just hire people who know stuff about the things that I don't know about. One of those is anything online. And uh, in the first meeting it goes, okay, so what is Facebook? Is that where I take my website and put it on their website? And I was like, I'm gonna have to get real elementary with this stuff. Uh, and so I, I sat there and outlined everything that I would do differently. And uh, so he hired me as a consultant. And for the next five months, I started meeting with Tom, helping him with his personal technology, the show's technology, the show's digital strategy, social media. They had a web guy, but to be respectful, to be honest, um, he just didn't keep his skills up in certain areas. He was really good at some things, 
But what you will learn really quickly in the modern broadcasting era is you have to be a Swiss Army knife. You have to be good at a lot of different things. And uh, I was good because of my career at a lot of different things. I could video edit. I could audio edit. I could podcast. I could host something. I could write. I could operate a website. I could do graphic design. I could market. I knew radio production. Uh, I knew a lot about a bunch of different things, and that made me a much more attractive candidate for that position than the person who had been there for 12 years. And if you are in a position, I wake up every single day not taking my position for granted. And I have two people under me now. One of them is a 21-year-old whiz kid who's very good at what he does. I'm not intimidated by that, but it motivates me to be as good as him and learn the things that he's good at so I understand it and we motivate each other. You know? So even though I'm 15 years ahead of him in my career, I'm not getting comfortable. I'm making sure that I'm keeping up with a lot of different skills in the industry because in digital, everything changes. Uh, the things that we were doing two years ago are not relevant to our digital strategy now. When I started, it was very photocentric to get people to engage with our social. Now it's very video centric. So I had to completely learn a new skill in the last four years to stay relevant in my position. And so um, over the next, so, so it kind of comes down to the end of the year and they have a major change. And we essentially have to transition all of their digital from one, one company to another and it is a six to 12 month process that we need to do in 90 days. Like it, was, it seemed impossible. And there were elements of that transition at the end of 2013 that I didn't understand, like video encoding. I didn't know anything about video encoding. Like, how do you get a video to YouTube Live? I don't know at that point. Um, but I said, yes, I can do it because I'm not going to turn down an opportunity. I'm going to figure it out. It's like taking off a 747 while bolting the wings on while you're in the air. It's scary, but you just have to have faith that you can do it. And at 11.55 p.m. on New Year's Eve, we completed the final component because they were going to turn off the service at midnight. We hustled for 90 days to do it, and we did it. And because I worked my butt off, they said, we want you on the team. They had kind of said that before. And to be honest, I turned down the Bob and Tom job three different times. Uh, I accepted on the third time uh, because I was very loyal to the guys that had hired me at the ad agency, even though I didn't want to do it. They had a, a big contract that was through the end of the year. And I just said, listen, I can't leave in August and screw these guys. And Tom worked with me and said, at the end of the year, transition out. And I said, great. So never be afraid to be honest about your situation and where you're at because you don't know what the information is like on the other side of the table. It goes back to the internship. You may not think that you can get an internship at the coolest place you can think of, but they may be looking at it with different information. They may be going, we're desperate for anybody. <laughs> you know? So never be afraid to take a chance and, and just be honest with the people that you're working with. So what do I do at Bob and Tom? So it started out, I was the only web guy for four years. Like I said, over the last year, we've added two people. Uh, I'm responsible for anything online that you see. You like the Facebook page, you follow the YouTube channel, you like the Instagram, which all of you should do. You buy our subscription service, 
you file a complaint about the subscription service, the quality of the subscription service, the editing of the podcast, all that's me. And I do a tremendous amount of different things every day. Uh, now that I have one guy editing videos, because we, over the last four years, have upgraded to a six-camera HD shoot, which our team in-house figured out what is it going to take to do this in-house? Because we can spend 100 grand or we can do it for 15 grand ourselves, which there's, there's, uh, there's pitfalls to doing it yourself versus hiring professionals. I mean, we're professionals, but we're uh, Swiss Army knives. We're not ni chef's knives. Uh, so we, we installed and tested out a bunch of different cameras. We've rebuilt the way that we video encode. We have rebuilt... Um, the way that we do certain memberships. We've dealt with the changes of certain algorithms. So how do we reach people and market the show via social media? Well, it's much different than it was four years ago. Four years ago, they were saying, everybody get on pages. Everybody get a page. We'll make sure that you're at the top of the algorithm. And then about a year and a half, they go, Whoop. all right, rugs, right out from under you. You figure out now how to promote yourself. Then two months later, they go, Facebook Live, that's where it's at. We'll put you up six times higher in the algorithm, do Facebook Lives. Okay, switch strategies. Now, whoop, the rug's pulled out from under you again. How do you reach your audience? Facebook groups. That's where they want you to engage with people. They don't want you to broadcast your stuff. They want you to build a community. So you have to stay current with the different changes in these major companies because they're constantly changing and they don't necessarily care about you. Uh, they, they care about their bottom line. So one thing that you always have to keep in mind is that you have to build your community and your audiences. Uh, you have to keep an eye on building things that you own, an email list, website traffic, a store so you can capture their information, a mobile app where you do contesting, where you capture their information. You take those emails, build an email list, so if the worst case scenario, three years, four years from now, social media is not a way that you can reach anyone, you have emails. So it's actively participating in the present with an eye towards the future. And every single day, my team and I walk in with a different challenge. It's something was wrong with the video encoder, we need to fix it. So that day, I'm a customer service rep and a hardware specialist. The next day, I am strategizing the best way to reach people based on content. Is it photos? Is it video? Is it status updates? Is it podcasting? Um, so you, you, you have to start from the high level, the strategy level, look at all the tools that you have available to you, and then what are the best ways to get people to achieve the goals that you have. So the goal for Bob and Tom is not to create its own show on the social channels. Our goal is to get you to turn on your radio station so we get ratings, right? It's, it's a compliment to the show. It's a marketing tool for the show. Our job is to give you stuff that you want to share with your friends and family with our name on it. So I don't do a lot of, a lot of radio stations will do a lot of like, junky sharing. They'll do, you know, the babe page where they have attractive women on the page. They do, you know, clickbaity titles, stuff like that. I don't want to do that. 
and I was very clear about not wanting to do that because Bob and Tom is a premium brand and I don't want to do anything that cheapens our brand. I don't want to do anything that turns anybody off from our brand. Uh, and I know that our team, our on-air talent is so talented that they can produce content that people will want to engage with and listen to. And I've been proven right every single time. So what we do is we take that video that we record from the six camera shoot and push that out. We make various Instagram videos with you know, the brackets on them that will engage with people. Uh, it is, it's just a constant, um, I'm the air traffic controller. I'm managing the 20 people that work around the show and trying to harvest any idea that we can uh, gather and put out that will engage with an audience. So the, and right now we're very, uh, we're focusing on community building. Like we're very interested in building a community, building a Facebook group and monetizing that community because I think that's really where the future of the industry is going. I think uh, podcasting, I, you know, I didn't mention this, but six years ago I started a podcast called We Are Libertarians. Uh, it was a way for me in, when I worked at the Libertarian Party of Indiana to fulfill my need to broadcast. <laughs> Once you get radio in your blood, you never, want to get, you never want to stop it. And so podcasting has been great, and I've built a really strong community, 7,000 listeners an episode, $1,000 a month in Patreon donations, 87,000 Facebook likes, very big platform because I've been able to take all these skills that I've built professionally and try things on uh, the podcast platform. And what I have, what I always tell interns or people that I talk to is have your own side thing. And I'm very fortunate that I work for a, a company that will allow me to have a side thing because some broadcasting companies won't. But I think it's really beneficial to my employer to have a side project because I can go and experiment in that sandbox. And if something gets messed up or something doesn't work or some technique doesn't work, it's no skin off anybody's nose. Like in the beginning, there were no people listening. By the, end, by the first year, there were 72 people listening. You know, like if I didn't do something right on the website, nobody saw it. Whereas at Bob and Tom, thousands of people will see if I mess up trying a new tactic or technique. So it's been great, and I've noticed that in that, in building a community and then monetizing that community, it's been very effective in driving traffic to what I want them to do. And now we're starting that at Bob and Tom with really good, a uh, lot of success. So I, you will work for, if you're going into digital for a broadcasting outlet, they have a very broadcast mindset. And you have to kind of fight against that and say the, the power of digital is community-based. Build a community around your product. And that is sometimes more niche, more inside than a broadcasting element will want, right? So the idea when broadcasting is build as big of an audience as you possibly can around as generic a, a skill or topic as you can, whereas community building and podcasting and digital is niche, 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 right? So we're building a community around the Bob and Tom show. And uh, we do that through Facebook Lives, through podcasts, through um, nurturing inside jokes and Facebook groups and, and things like that. So before we, uh, I did not set my timer. So I think, how, what time? You have about 
All right, cool, because I want to give you guys uh, some Q&A. Um, I pretty much hit, hit everything, but in summation, learn to write. It is the most important thing that you will learn. It doesn't matter if you're going into uh, podcasting where you are talking. You have to be able to write the prep. You have to be able to write the description of the podcast. What title will you write that will get more people to listen to it? What newscast will you write that will be more effective? Learn to write. It is the most important skill that you need. Learn to use a bunch of different uh, you know, programs and tools. I use Adobe. I recommend Adobe. It's the most broad of all the different platforms. If you know Adobe, you will be able to work anywhere. If you are a graphic designer, you will never not work. You will probably be a little hungry, but you will never not go without a job. Audio editing, video editing, After Effects, if you can do animation, your skills will be highly in demand in the future. So I, I always recommend Adobe. I mean, learning things like um, Final Cut Pro, for instance, or even Audacity as an audio editor program, those skills translate. So it, it's, it's fine if you know those stuff and use that stuff. Um, under, understand the, the fundamentals of interpersonal relationships. I wouldn't have been able to have the jobs that I had if I hadn't understood how to network. Uh, and I think it's important for you to remember, to, to learn a little bit at a young age the fundamentals of how to work with people and work on a team and how to be a decent person. Because, it, you know, and, and in some of that, I would say practicing humility and service are probably two of the most important parts of the broadcasting that will get you far. Because broadcasting is full of jerks. And it's full of arrogant jerks. And if you're a person who shows up every day to serve and to be humble and say, I'm going to, why are you, why are you all looking at one person in this room when I say arrogant jerk? <laughs> yeah. Everybody in your mind, if you're working at a, at a station, knows one of those people, right? Yeah, and nobody, everybody talks about that person behind their back, and they don't want to work with that person. But if you're the person who says, what is the worst job here? I will do it. You will be the most valuable person. So be humble. Be a servant. And go in with that attitude. Not to promote yourself, but to promote the success of the team and the product that you're, you're building. Um, Always say yes to any lunch, dinner, event. You never know what's going to be a networking event. I was in Washington, D.C. last week, and I really wanted to take this long car ride from Philly to D.C. by myself. But this guy said, I'll pay half the rental car, so I said yes. Turns out the guy was the policy director for the Ford and H.W. Bush campaigns, one of the most connected people I've ever met in politics, and he and I have the potential now after talking a little bit we've talked about doing some things that will benefit us both mutually had I said no I don't want to deal with this I wouldn't have that opportunity there's going to be uh, a lunch that you have that nothing comes out of it and two years later someone calls you and says I was thinking about you for this opportunity always say yes make yourself business cards I'll have some business cards for you guys to take if you want it's networking is fundamentally important. It doesn't matter what industry you're going into. Going on monster.com and submitting a resume is not going to get you a job. It's who you know. It's, it's how many people can you connect with over the next five years that will cement your career. Now, take heart. If you're not, uh, 
if you're a complete loser at 25 like me, it still can work out. Um, <laughs> so I would say don't worry about your future. Uh, I remember just being terrified of what the future holds. And I didn't really have a plan. I just showed up and worked hard, and it worked out for me. And I've been able to live every dream that that little eight-year-old boy had. Uh, just by virtue of saying yes, working hard, and, and trying to treat people decent. Um, understand storytelling. I think this is really important in our business. Um, storytelling is the fundamental way that we learn. And if you understand a story, how to tell a story, you will be more effective than your, com your competition, which is every single person you ever work against. Like, you are on a team, but you're always competing a little bit, right? because this is a high-demand industry. Understanding storytelling, had I started out with the advice, the advice that I'm giving you wouldn't be as powerful if I hadn't told you about that eight-year-old boy who went on to work at a radio station and got every dream that he had ever wanted. The advice wouldn't be as powerful if, if I had just started with the nuts and bolts. Um, always have a side project and get an internship and work hard. So. With that, any of you have any questions? You back there. You. Um, what's your most like, important social media platform is in terms of like, how do you get those? The biggest, the biggest, it depends on the audience you're trying to reach. If I were trying to get more of you to listen to the Bob and Tom show, I would not start with Facebook. What is the social platform that you guys use the most? It's probably Instagram or Snapchat, right? So what audience are you trying to target? Our audience is mostly 25 to 54. So we spend most of our time focused on Facebook. That, like, the, it's 2 billion users. It's the, like, the biggest country on the planet. So it's got a huge user base. It's like this, and the next biggest is Twitter at like this in terms of share. So you, want, you have to be on Facebook. Uh, you have to have your own website, and you have to have an email list. Those are the three musts. Twitter for new brands is kind of optional. I would have it, so that way when people want to promote you and tag you, have it. Um, if you're a um, millennial or Gen Z focused brand, then Instagram heavy with Snapchat. But Snapchat, I just don't, like the We Are Libertarians is focused on male millennials, so we do a lot of Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and Twitter, but we don't do a lot of Snapchat just because it's not as male millennial focused. So, and it's a more personal platform. It's you know we use Snapchat and Instagram at Bob and Tom to give a more personal look behind because the thing about broadcasting is you know you have you have a wall and then you have all your talent. And then you have this audience who all see this wall, and they all want to peek on the other side of it. What do they really like? What do, what do they, you know, are they really like they sound on the radio? And yes, they are. The thing you will learn about famous people, because uh, I've been around a lot of them over my different careers, is they're all exactly like, they think, like you think they are. If they seem like a jerk, they're a jerk. If they're super nice, they're probably super nice. Um, and Snapchat and Instagram give you that kind of peak and builds intimacy with an audience. You know, you want to be vulnerable with an audience. You want to build intimacy with an audience. You, you can't not have that wall, 
because there's, that's no way to live, trust me. I've seen people who share too much and then they just get run over by an audience. So Snapchat and Instagram are great for that. Yes, sir. No, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't think I'm supposed to say this, but I never graduated. I just, two. Yeah. I learned how to do everything. <laughs> I, I started a blog in 2007. I built my own website and I learned how to do everything by asking Google and YouTube. And that's how I learned every skill I've ever had. That and lynda.com. Uh, I think your education in college is very important. Uh, just because I succeeded without a college degree, I don't think, I would not recommend that to anybody because it made me more paranoid and I had to work harder. And in some ways, I think it helped because it made me so motivated to work my butt off. But uh, you, you will learn a ton from an internship which you cannot get without college credit. And thanks, thanks to Hollywood interns who screwed it up for everybody, you can only get an internship if you have college credit or you get paid, which is rare these days. And so you have to have, a, a you have to be in college to get an internship. So for that alone, you should go to college and you should, you should learn to write. Take a creative writing major. You know, history, history would have been fine because it's good with storytelling and I'm in politics in, in the career path that I have for my future, but uh, it would have been really dumb, <laughs> you know. Communications degree, I think, is good because you get your foot, you get a lot of experience around that. But if I were telling you what major to take uh, for the career that I've ended up with, it's creative writing. Next question. Yes, sir. I did. Yeah, I've I've worked with him in 2012. Um, I know Gary. I went to the national convention and ended up sitting next to him in 2012 at a, at a dinner uh, in the back of the room, one of the most humble people I've ever met. He's so nice, and that's why he didn't win. <laughs> so, next question. Yes, 